Next month, the world is going to be locked into Tokyo, Japan. It's going to be for the 2021 Summer Olympics. In fact, I want you to just kind of get this today. There are two track and field events that are the same distance, but they're run very differently. In fact, one is run alone and the other is run with four people and they are both one mile long. See, the one mile run is four times around the track and each time is 400 meters. The other event is called the four by four, the four by 400 relay. And that's with a baton, four fresh runners, and each time around the track, they just simply pass a baton. The world record for the relay is 2.54 and the world record for the mile is 3.43, almost a minute longer, which basically tells us this, You can do the mile alone, but it takes longer and it takes a toll on you. See, fresh legs go further and faster. Or as the old Zimbabwe proverb says it like this, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go further, you go together. I want you to listen to me today because I really feel like this is a word from the Lord. Nothing hurts the longevity of a church or the kingdom of God more than when the relay is turned into a solo event. Let me say that again. Nothing hurts the kingdom of God more than what should be a relay becomes a solo event. It's as Eugene Peterson said, no Christian is an only child. See, when there is fighting in the church, you lose your spiritual siblings and become an only child. That's why division is devastating to effectiveness. I I, I want you to get this today because many members of the church can accomplish collectively what the same members cannot do individually. This is the race. This is the solo and the relay. Think of it this way. Airplanes are made up of 100% of non-flying parts. But when you put them together, they can lift 175,000 pounds. There's not a seat on that airplane that can fly on its own. There's not a screw or a bolt that can fly on its own. There's not a radar or even a toggle switch on there. There is nothing on that airplane that has the ability to fly all by itself. But those non-flying parts, when they worked collectively, come off the ground and begin to make to make advancement and begin to go forward. See, the power of the body of Christ working together is unimaginable. And today, I want to read some powerful scripture written from a prison cell. And then in just a few moments after I read it, I want to add some important information and then reread the verses. These scriptures are familiar to you. I want you to listen to them. This is what Paul says from a, from a prison cell. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say, rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men because the Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is of good report, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, I want you to dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and had seen in me, practice these things. And then Paul ends with these words, and the God of peace 
will be with you. You know these verses. These verses are familiar to you. But these verses, listen now, are not standalone commands. These verses are connected to a story of disagreement. Paul was addressing his ministry team that was being broken apart by a disagreement and Paul didn't want the team running solo when it was supposed to be a relay. Paul needed those fly, them flying, but they were grounded because individually they couldn't get up in the air, but they needed each other. That's why whenever you're reading the Bible, context is king. And what I mean by context is when you read all the scriptures together around a verse, you begin to see the power of it. We, we water down sometimes the power of scripture when you separate it from the why or from its intended purpose. And today, I want to mention two ladies' names that you may not be familiar with or very easy to even skip over. Two names that you may never have heard of. Because here's what's happening here and what these verses are connected to. There is a fight between, here they come, Euodia and Syntyche. Now listen, the passage is about these two women and a fight that is dividing them. And Paul even has a concern that it could even affect the church of Philippi. We don't know exactly what they're fighting about, but these women, I think, were the plane parts sitting on the ground with the potential to fly and Paul needed to get the plane back in the air. And thus, Philippians chapter four, that's what it's connected to. So now let me read, keeping that in mind, two verses that add to the familiar verses and realize that the familiar verses weren't standalone, but they were for liftoff. It was to get the relay going back again and not letting people run an individual solo, solo race. Because remember, we, we run further when we run together. So I want to walk this through with you. Now let's add the story, which are really the first two verses or verses two and three. And we're going to add that through four through nine. And I want you to see how that synchronizes together. Here's how it goes. Paul says this. Here's how Philippians 4 begins. I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, True companion, I ask you to help these women who have shared in my struggle. These are ministry ladies in the cause of the gospel together with Clement, also the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. Then he starts. Here's what I need you to do. We need to get lift off. So first of all, rejoice in the Lord always. And I want you to say rejoice again. And I need you to understand as we're trying to get the plane off the air, let your gentle spirit be known to all men because Christ is coming. The Lord is near. And then I want you to realize, don't be anxious for nothing, but in everything, I need you to be praying people, to pray by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, even though there doesn't seem to be peace around us, but that peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, is gonna guard your hearts. And I need your minds guarded, is what Paul's saying. And then he begins to say, to protect from crazy thoughts, I need you to think about whatever is true, honorable, whatever is right, pure, lovely, whatever is of good report, any excellence, anything worthy of praise. Paul says, think on those things. The things you've learned and received and heard in me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. I, I want to read that verse two out of the Living Bible. It seems to pulsate with passion from the Apostle Paul. Listen to it, how, how, how Ken Taylor puts it. And I now want to plead with these two dear women. Listen to Paul. Euodius and Syntyche, listen to it. 
please, please, with the Lord's help, quarrel no more. I need you to be friends again. Wow, that's powerful. That is, that it's setting the stage that's basically telling us that verses four through nine are real powerful when you realize verses two through three set, set the stage. And that's why I want to talk to you about today. Get this, never cut what simply you can untie. Never get rid of something that maybe is going to take some time. It's really what to do when key people are fighting, how to get the plane back in the air. This can deal with a home. This can deal with a marriage. This can deal with a ministry, a church. Let me say that again. Never cut what you can untie. Speaking relationally, see, cutting is easy and, and to some degree lazy. Untying takes time and it's difficult and hard. Stephen Brown explains that when a group of thoroughbred horses face attack, they stand in a circle facing each other with their back legs and kick out towards the enemy. And then Brown says, donkeys do the opposite. They face the enemy and end up kicking each other. But how often he tells us that the church ignores the real enemy and we find that we're kicking each other. That's what Euodia and Sintichi were doing. And Paul was going, hey, we're horses. We're thoroughbreds. We're not to begin to, to kick each other, but we have to go after the enemy. I was reading about a, a study that was being done by BYU and showing the power of relationship. They did a meta-analysis of 148 studies around the country at some, some prestigious universities of what it means to be in relationship with people. People, this is what they said, people with a solid group of friends, here it comes, are 50% more likely to survive at any given, at, at any given time than those without one. That, that they said that you're, your uh, survival rate goes up when you're walking in relationships. Why healthy relationships are so important? Because when you cut the rope, you could be cutting life expectancy. That's why today is we're kicking off our connect groups. I want you to go to the TSC website and begin and begin to realize that these aren't just groups that are taking away time. These are adding life to us. And it's so important. That's why one pastor says it like this. It's always more rewarding to resolve a conflict than to dissolve a relationship. He was basically telling us that we have to learn to, to untie the knot, not cut the rope, is what he was saying to us. See, that's why if you're having relationship problems, confess it to God, not to Facebook. Boy, that's so important for so many people to understand today. Because you can't have a relationship without any fights, but you can make your relationship worth the fight and that's what Paul was saying. These are effective ladies that it's worth the fight to literally find a way to untie the knot. And that's why I believe Paul gives us three thoughts from verses four through nine on how to untie the knot and prevent the temptation from cutting the rope or cutting the relationship. And Paul is helping us that when there is a fight around us and the plane is grounded, whether a marriage or a relationship with, with, your, with your children, relationship with some a, a friend or maybe you're a student at a university and Paul begins I believe to give us from these powerful scriptures when now that you take verses four through nine and attach it to what Paul was trying to do saying I need you to stay in the relay and I need the grounded parts to get back up in the air this is what Paul was trying to tell us I, I, I want to kind of give you a flight plan the first two points are going to be fast but point three is we're gonna spend some time on untying the knot today. So here we go. Number one, 
I, I believe this is important that Paul is teaching us. Don't be surprised. Problems happen when the kingdom is advancing. Let me say that again. Don't be surprised. Problems happen when the kingdom is advancing. I've seen it throughout my entire ministry, almost four decades of ministry. When Satan sees you moving into his territory and the devil knows he can't win with external attacks, he will distract with internal unrest. Thus, Philippians chapter four and those two ladies. This is, this is so key for us to understand that what he was saying is, if I can't get you with external attacks, then I'll go after internal unrest. And though the fight was between the ladies, you could see it was having an effect on the Apostle Paul. Listen to it in verses two through three. I appeal to you, Odia, and Sintichi, please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement, he says. I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women, for they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers whose names are written in the book of life. It's amazing that these two ladies were co-workers with Paul and hard working in telling the gospel. And Paul is just, it, it, you can tell it's affecting him because the gospel is moving and going forward. And the women who are preaching to others to make things right with God can't seem to get it right with each other. The gospel was advancing and Satan was fighting. Let me say that again. As the gospel was advancing, Satan was fighting. Here's what's amazing. It's Puritan writer Thomas Manton who said it like this. Divisions in the church always breed atheism in the world. It becomes a poor example. And that's why Paul is appealing. There's, a, there's an urgency to him. But secondly, always remember this. Only weak people think they're strong enough to do the Christian life alone. Only weak people think they're strong enough to run the mile all by themselves. And they forget that, that we don't have wings individually, but corporately, that plane, that church comes off the ground. See, Philippians is a letter to the church in Philippi. And Acts 16 is where this church started. And really, in a sense, started from a prison cell in the book of Acts. The third convert on this missionary journey. I mean, it went from Lydia, then to a little demonic girl, all converted. But the third convert on this missionary journey is key in this story. It was Paul's jailer, the apostle Paul's jailer. Since Paul is not in Philippi when he's writing this, he's behind bars, he needs help and can't reconcile this relationship alone. So Paul is calling for help, realizing I can't, I can't get there and I can't fix this. And Paul appeals to someone to help these women fix their disagreement. I, I want to read it to you. There's a key word here that the King James points out. Listen to what the King James says in verse 3. It says, I entreat thee also, here it comes, true yoke fellow. That's the word. Help those women which labored with me in the gospel. That, that word yoke fellow is a descriptive word. In fact, the word actually means someone you were chained to. It means to be connected to. And in a sense, in a sense, um, this almost becomes uh, revelatory to realize who is Paul talking to that he was connected to to deal with these two women in Philippi. And here's what's crazy. Historians believe this may be the Philippian jailer that Paul was chained to, that his yoke fellow was the Philippian jailer. 
And he's appealing to this man. What he was saying was Paul needed his yoke fellow, his third convert, to help because he couldn't do it by himself. He couldn't get he couldn't get a disagreement fixed. He could have been he could have been bitter from the stripes on his back, but the man that put the stripes on Paul's back is going to become, in a sense, a co-labor with Paul later on. I, I, I love what one verse, uh, what Solomon says in Proverbs twenty-seven nineteen about relationships. He says. He says, you want to know how important relationships are because it reveals something. He says, as a mirror reflects a man's face. He says, but what he is really like is shown by the kind of friends he chooses. That's a powerful thing for all of us, that people are known by those relationships, that the people that we are with. See, this church that was birthed in 49 AD, we're, we're now 13 years later in, in 62 AD as Paul is writing this. And I love this that the jailer who put the stripes on Paul's back is now being used to bring healing to the wounds between two Christian workers. Nothing is more powerful than that. We can't do this by ourselves. Paul goes, I-, I don't have the capacity to get there and do this, but you, my friend, who I was chained to, that, that God did a work in your life, God is gonna use you now. The hands that used to put marks on people are now gonna be the hands that brings healing to people. But here's where I want us to land today. Don't cut what you can untie. That was the plea to these women. See, we're moving now to getting the plain parts together and in the air. We're moving from don't run the mile by yourself. See, verses four through nine are just not just verses on joy and peace and prayer for your personal mile run. These are verses to keep us running together in the four by 400 relay. See, Philippians 4, 4 through 9 is Paul's instruction on how to untie the knot of disagreement. And and, and here's what's important. Paul's instruction in verses 4 through 9 is not how to fight with each other, how to have a fair fight with each other, but it's really how to fight one of the most important fights and one of the most intense fights, which is the internal battle that he's wanting to deal with that will get us back in the relay race. See, I believe it is instruction for what our hearts must consistently pursue, not just when there's a bad relationship, not when something goes wrong, but what we're always pursuing that literally helps us to begin to almost have a preemptive strike that when something goes amiss in a relationship, it, it will prepare our hearts for inevitable disagreements and needful discussions that come. I believe that these next verses is a challenge to always live with the other plain parts, how to live with the other plain parts. And it's it's getting the attitude so we can get the altitude. Let me say that again. It's Paul challenging us in these next few moments, saying, if I can get this attitude right, the altitude then gets you back in the air. Let me give it to you, because this is where I think he's dealing with attitude for altitude. That's what I think he's doing here. So here it comes. First thing he says this, find joy in the Lord and not simply in people. Listen to it, verse four. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I'm gonna say rejoice. Did you see that key phrase? In the Lord is the key phrase. What he was saying was, you can't find in people what can only be found in the Lord. See, joy comes from God. Or let me say it like this. When you don't find joy in God first, then you put God-sized expectations on people and relationships who really can't fulfill them. That's why my joy is in the Lord. 
I hope today your joy is in the Lord. People can bring us joy in our lives, but because of the inconsistency of people, because of the inconsistency of my own life, there are times that I've caused um, rifts in relationship. But just because that happens, it doesn't mean that, that I have a thermostat, that sometimes I'm joyful, sometimes I'm not. And when it's like this, it means that we're finding joy in something else than God. If God doesn't change and God is who he says he is, then my pursuit is to find joy in him. And that begins to get my priorities straight because you can't have healthy relationships with people without a healthy relationship with God. Listen to what John says in 1 John 1, 7. John says it like this. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, this is, this is the healthy relationship with God. Listen to what he says. Then we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us all from sin. We're all sinners. We're all, we all need the blood of Jesus. Walking in a healthy relationship with God is the best way to have healthy relations with people and realizing we all need the blood of Jesus. Puritan John Flavel said it like this, what, at peace with the Father and at war with his children? He goes, impossible, it can't even be, impossible. So the first thing he tells us this, we have to make sure we're finding our joy in God. That's where our first priority is. Number two, I, I wanna give you a crazy phrase and I'm gonna explain to you in just a few moments where it comes from. Live with, live with one foot raised. Some of you are going like, Pastor Tim, what are you, where's that coming from? Listen to verse five. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. Here it comes. The Lord is near. See, the Lord is near means, this is a word that we don't talk about very often. The rapture, the second coming of Jesus is close. People don't speak about the second coming of Jesus with frequency anymore. I, I grew up at a time in the church when the rapture was the only topic we would talk about. We would talk about the Lord may come. It was it was both a time of joy, and I have to tell you, sometimes it was a time of threatening um, for us as a kid. Don't do this, Jesus may come. Don't do this, Jesus may come again while you're there. See, I, I wanted to tell you this because Paul, the apostle Paul is telling us that, that he throws in there a rapture statement. The Lord is near. It, this is going along with live with one foot raised. Uh, let me explain it like this. For those that may be new, maybe you're a brand new Christian of what the rapture is, the second coming. It is Jesus coming physically a second time. He came as a child, but now he comes to reign as the king. See, the rapture has two important days connected to it. It's the wedding day and also the judgment day. Wedding day is the born again, dead and living all going to heaven celebration. This is eternity that we get to be with God. It's the final call. It's heaven. The Bible calls it a, a wedding feast. But second, there's a judgment day. This is God making all things right, saying no one gets away with anything, that every man will be judged for what they have done. From the worst in history to, 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 to people, to our own neighbor, from all, from all the folks around us, God goes, this is a judgment moment. People from New York City to Washington, D.C., from Budapest down to Lima, Peru, every man will stand before God. But what, what C.S. Lewis said it like this about this, that the Lord is near the rapture. He says, when the author steps on the stage, he goes, the play is over. That's when God steps in. We, he, and Paul's appeal with the rapture in mind is get things right Jesus is coming soon. Time is running out. He says, I want you to live that way. That was the plea of the, the, the reformer John Calvin 
Back in 1563, John Calvin writes a letter to, uh, of encouragement to one of the important leaders of the Protestant Reformation in France who is re- recently recovering from a struggle. And this is what Calvin says. There's just this one phrase that stood out to me. He says, we ought to learn, here it is, to have one foot raised to take our departure when it shall please God. That's powerful. What Calvin was saying was this. What does have one foot raised means? It means don't be so grounded here on earth because the Lord is coming soon. He's basically telling you this, get ready to fly. I mean, not only does the church need to get off the ground, but there's coming a rapture that's going to get us really off the ground. Keep in mind, he is, the Lord is near. Then Paul tells us, I want you to have this attitude inside of you. Prayer fights worry, he says. Let me, let me ask you this question. Ever have to face an intense meeting the next day and you have a pit in your stomach or anxiety or you can't sleep at night? Here's a prescription for that worry. I've learned this. I've learned that, that in order to fight worry, it's called prayer. This is, this is what the Apostle Paul is saying. He's saying, listen, you two ladies that are fighting, he says, this pit in my stomach, I've realized I've got to be in a place of prayer or this thing is going to eat at me. You know, Amazon keeps track of everything you're high. If you read an ebook, keeps everything you highlight and uh, on a Kindle or an ebook reader, when you highlight a sentence and it goes back to Amazon, and recently Amazon released a list of the most popular passages in some of the best-selling books um, on its website, from, from the Harry Potters to the Hunger Games all the way to the, the classics of Pride and Prejudice. Um, they, they said these are the most popular highlights. And then they did the Bible, the Bible, and said, these are, this is the number one highlighted verse around the world on a Kindle on the Bible. So before I read it, I went ahead and started to try to guess. So I would look going, is this it? I, I figured John three sixteen for God so loved the world. And it wasn't. Then I thought, ah, I got it. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. That wasn't it. Then I figured, okay, then it has to be Matthew 6, the Lord's prayer, our father. But none of those were in there. It wasn't the most highlighted text in, on, on e-readers around the world. And here's what's amazing. This verse is so revealing. This is the number one highlighted Kindle Bible verse around the world. Here it is it's in our passage today. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Are you serious? Because really what was happening was it was striking a deep chord in a worried world, a deep chord in people that deal with anxiety. And and this verse becomes the number one verse. I heard someone say it like this, if you're gonna worry, there's no need to pray. But if you're gonna pray, then there's no need to worry. That's why every evening I turn my troubles over to God. You know why? Because he never, he's gonna be up all night anyway. Doesn't mean that both of us have to be, because that's why this is so important. Paul was telling us that the way you fight worry the worry that I'm having over this this disagreement with these two important ladies, the disagreement that's happening that I don't want it to infect the church, I've got to pray or anxiety comes upon me. And then Paul tells us this, and this is verse seven, that peace then follows prayer. 
peace will follow prayer. Verse 7, and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. At the end, I want to get to that mind part because that's going to, that's going to come up shortly. See, peace is the result of prayer. A life of prayer, a life of prayer begins to give us peace. When you pray, first you get peace next. The peace of God then begins to guard our hearts. From what? Hold on, because that's going to come in a second. This means the answer to every situation that I'm facing is the peace of God. Or I want to say it like this. This is really important. Even if things around me are not peaceful, I can still have peace. I have to say that again. Even though there are things in my home, in my church, in my life, things that are not peaceful, I can still have peace that's guarding my heart and it's guarding my mind. You know what the peace of God means? I want, to just, I want to give it to you as simply as this. What does the peace of God mean? God's got this. I'm living a life that says, God, you got this. You're, you're in charge. I know you can handle this. And finally, let me give you this last thing. You can stop the renegade and rogue thoughts that make up stories and narratives in your mind. The, the, the Apostle Paul says we have to guard our thoughts from going rogue against people. That's this is Paul going, God, I can't, I can't allow my mind to run rampant. I can't allow these thoughts to run rogue, whether it's about these ladies, who's in charge, who's doing this, what's going on here, and creating larger stories in my mind that don't even exist. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. Because I think verse eight is so important. It says, finally, brethren, whatever is true, he says, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good report, if there's any excellence, anything worthy on praise, dwell or think on these things. What Paul was saying was you have a command to think healthy. This, this is important. He throws a whole list, true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, good report, excellence. That's what I want you to think. And he says, you can think of that. See, this verse is about wrongful thinking of people with that we are in disagreement with. That's what he says. He was basically telling us, when you think healthy, then you can untie the knots of disagreement. But when you allow those thoughts and all that other stuff to, to kind of control you and come up, those rogue, rogue thoughts begin to, to lead up and you start judging things in your mind and creating narratives, he says it's at that point you're going to cut the rope. You can control what you think what Paul says. See, when wrong thoughts come to your mind, it goes like this. They're trying to hurt me. They never liked me. They, they always wanted me out of here. When they say they love me, it's just not true. They are a hypocrite. All these are rogue thoughts. And this is what the Apostle Paul says. Stop it. Think on these things. Say, when those thoughts come, he say, whatever is lovely, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is of good report, whatever is of excellence, I choose God. Because you said I can. I choose to think on these things. Rogue thoughts are made-up narratives that cause the anxiety and the worry and the and the worry and makes me want to cut the rope. That's why Paul says, I need you to know that you can gain control back of those thoughts because you are a child of God. It is a mind. He's, he's challenging us for those that have a mind that won't stop creating and writing a false story that just doesn't exist. He says, So instead of just dealing with what's at hand, you start creating more to be there. And Paul says, I want to get this plane off the ground. I want to get the solo run back to a relay. 
I want to begin to get us living with an attitude so we can get the altitude and not be grounded with pettiness and not be grounded with, with, the, with, with the internal unrest because there's a lot of external battles that's ahead for the church, I believe, in the days that are to come. And this is such a key verse for us, for this church, for your church to gain the altitude, for your church to realize this is, I, I've got to pass the baton. I've got to begin to run a relay. Oh, you can run a mile all by yourself. You can do it. It's going to take longer. It's going to take a toll on you. But the Apostle Paul is telling us that's not what God meant it to be. He says, I don't want you to, to cut the rope when you can untie the knot. But, but, but there is a bigger relationship that, 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 that really we have to take notice of today. There's a bigger knot or really the biggest knot that needed to be untied. It was, it was a knot that was so tight and it was tied up by sin that came to this planet. But I have to tell you that God loved you and me so much, he wouldn't cut the rope. He had the opportunity and all right to cut the rope and say, these are sinners. These are people that hated me. These people don't want me. He says, but I love them and not willing to cut the rope. And instead of cutting the rope, I'm going to send my son to untie the knot. The knot that seems to control people's lives. The knot of sin. And God found a way, hallelujah, 2,000 years ago to untie the knot by dying on the cross and pursuing a relationship with us. Glory to God. He calls that relationship when he unties that rope that he invites everyone to walk into being born again. Pa Pastor Tim, what does that mean? He is inviting us and saying, when you were born the first time in a hospital, many, many of you, you were born with that knot tied so tight by sin. He says, but you have the opportunity every day. In fact, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Every day, that knot to be untied and to walk in a relationship with God. Just as you had a first birth, Jesus describes the new relationship as a second birth or a being born again. The first time you were born physically, the second time Jesus says, here's the relationship, I want you to be born spiritually. That's what John 3, 3 and John 3, 5 says. Listen to these words. This is Jesus speaking. He says, no man, no woman can enter the kingdom of heaven unless they are born again. That's not our words. Those are Jesus's words. And in fact, down in John 3, 5, Jesus says, you must be born again. That's what unties the knot. When he died on that cross, rose from the dead, he said, I'm giving every opportunity for you to have a relationship with God. That knot is going to be un could be untied today for many of you that are watching around New York City, around the country, and even around the world. Pastor Tim, how do I walk into that relationship? How do I become born again? I want to make it as simple as I can today. It's, it's as simple as, as we would tell even children, ABC, learning the ABCs. I want, I want to take those three letters and just give you three words that you can maybe understand it better with. A, it's admitting that I'm a sinner. It's when, I get, it's when I get honest with God that, that all of us, starting with me, have a condition called sin. It can't be fixed by a promise, a program. There's not a priest or a pastor that can fix it. We need help to fix it. I see, I'm broken on the inside. The diagnosis is sin, and I start with admitting that I'm a sinner. As one pastor said it, we're not mistakers in need of correction. We are sinners in need of a savior. I, need, I don't need a second chance. I need a second birth. That's what God's come to do. 
But that's where the B word comes in. It's believing that God sent his son, Jesus, to fix our sinful condition, to untie the knot that sin tied tightly when man sinned all the way back in the book of Genesis. I can't fix myself. You can't fix yourself. If we could fix ourselves, listen to this, then why would God have to send his son here? We can't fix ourselves. Why would he send his son to go through the suffering that he went to? That would be almost the ultimate case of child abuse. But he wasn't saying you have to do all this to, 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 to get me to like you more. He said, I already love you. Because if I can get myself to heaven by just simply being good, then Jesus would never have to come and die on the cross for me. Jesus' death was him being my sin bearer, untying a knot that I couldn't tie, that I couldn't untie myself. He died a death I was supposed to die, lived a life I couldn't live, and gave me a reward, forgiveness and eternity that I didn't even deserve. And finally, it's confess. Confess him as Lord. I, I want to ask you a question. Do you think God sent Jesus to die on the cross to simply get us to sit in a seat in a church or sit in front of a screen for an hour and a half every single week? I think it's more than that. He's not saying you to confess religion or confess a denomination or confess a church that you go to. His goal wasn't to get you to church. His goal was to get you to heaven, to untie the knot and walk with you forever. Coming to church on a Sunday or sitting in front of a screen on a Sunday, that's religion. Being born again is a relationship. That's every single day. That's why Christianity is not coming to a place, but it's coming to a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. Listen to it, the Lord. Romans 10, 9 and 10 uses that word, confess Jesus as Lord. Another word for that is boss. You're in charge now of my life. I, I, I don't do what God wants me to do for an hour on Sunday. God gets every single day. That's called lordship. And today, just as you had a first birth, today could be your second birth, your born again day. Your birth today spiritually can happen right now, wherever you are, wherever you're listening, whatever country you're in. Maybe you're even listening to it through one of our translation ministries. Maybe, maybe you're in South America. Maybe you're right here in New York City. Maybe you're in London, England, or in the Philippines. God today is calling you. He's calling you today. He's telling you he loves you so much that he didn't cut the rope, but he untied the knot by sending his own son. And today, if you want to take that first step in saying, I want that relationship that God has provided, if that's you and you're saying, Pastor Tim, I want to do that today, but, I, but I'm not perfect, exactly. Perfect people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. And today can be that day. I want you to pray a prayer with me. I, wherever you are, you may be alone today. You may be um, watching from, from a gym, a fitness center. You may be a, a, um, doing summer classes at university. You may be sitting in a park that someone sent you a link to this message. And today, today, remember, in order to have healthy relationships with people, we have to have a healthy relationship with God and it can begin today. If that's you and you say, Pastor Tim, would you pray with me? I want you to pray this prayer right now, wherever you're at. And if you're able to say it out loud, maybe you pray it as a family. Maybe it's a husband and wife. Maybe it's a father and his son praying this together. But I want you to say these words with me. If you wanna take the next step today and say, I wanna be born again, come on, pray this with me. Say these words out loud. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, 
my shame and my guilt and you died for it. You faced hell for me so I wouldn't have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. Hallelujah. And heaven is my home. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this message. And be sure to subscribe so you can receive new messages each week. Visit tsc.nyc for all the latest info on how you can stay connected. Also, don't forget that you can follow us on social media on all major platforms at Times Square Church. Thanks for tuning in today. Have a great week.